Hello everyone, I'm Connor Parsons and welcome to Conprise Podcast. The purpose of this podcast today is to inform you about the book I'm reading. Before we get into that, here's a bit about me. I'm 15 years old, I was born on October 24th, 2003 in Newfoundland, but I'm now currently a resident of Waverly, Nova Scotia in a small community called Spider Lake. I play hockey for Bedford and also soccer in the summertime. I have a nine-year-old sister named Jessica. In my pastimes, I enjoy playing video games, reading, and exercising. I'm currently a grade 10 student at Lockview High School, and I hope to become a gym teacher and hopefully just marry someone who's a doctor, lawyer, or something high paying, so I can live life with the least amount of stress possible. 10 years from now, I could see myself unemployed playing video games in my mom's basement, but let's hope that's not the case. That's enough about me, let's get into my book. My book is called Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, and throughout the book, Krakauer describes his personal experience of the 1997 Mount Everest disaster and what he experienced in his attempt to climb the highest mountain in the world from his point of view. So far, I read about a third of my book, so I can tell you a few things about my book so far. Um, the setting of the book takes place on Mount Everest, which is a mountain located in Nepal, a country in South Asia. The protagonist of my book is John Krakauer because he's a central person in the novel attempting to climb the mount, the Mount Everest. The antagonist would be Mount Everest and the weather conditions because they are what's preventing Krakauer from completing his goal, almost acting as the villain in this book. And the conflict of this book would be man versus nature because Krakauer's main goal is to climb Everest, but he must withstand the harsh conditions at high altitude and also hope the weather cooperates so that his climb to the summit remains possible. So he's battling against nature to complete his goal. Now that you know about it, now that you know a bit about me and my book, let's get into who the author is. The author of my book is John Krakauer, who is now a 65-year-old writer and mountaineer, who's the author of not only Into Thin Air, but Into the Wild, Where Men Win Glory, and many other nonfiction novels. This novel, however, Into Thin Air, reached the top of the New York Times bestseller list, was honored as Book of the Year by Time Magazine, and was among three books considered for the nonfiction Pulitzer Prize. He grew up in Oregon, United States, along with four siblings, and was introduced to mountaineering at only the age of eight by his father. In 1972, he graduated from Corvallis High School and later went on to receive a degree in environmental studies in 1976 while studying at Hampshire College in Massachusetts. After graduating from college a few years later in 1983, he was able to give up his part-time jobs as a fisherman and carpenter and become a full-time journalist for Outside Magazine, who were the organization that actually agreed pay the necessary fees to send him to Everest as part of Rob Hall's expedition in 1996. Krakauer now is peacefully in Boulder, Colorado with his wife Linda Moore, who he has been married to since 1980. Now that you know a bit about me, my book, and the author, let's get into why I chose this novel. I chose this novel because when I have the choice, I always read non-fiction books, and I read that this book was one of the best non-fiction reads. I also didn't really have any previous knowledge on the subject of mountaineering, and I thought reading about a mountaineering disaster that made headlines when it happened would not only be interesting to read, but also to learn about, so I decided to give this book a try. First impressions have been good. Uh, like I said, I've read about a third of my book, and my first impressions have been really good. The sole negative thing I would say about the book is the fact that at some points it does get a bit dawn boring, as he seems to ramble on about things sometimes I don't really understand or have much of an appreciation for, so I sometimes do feel a bit lost. 
but he does write very descriptively and it makes everything seem a lot more real when I can understand it. His writing really helps me develop a picture in my head when I read and therefore makes me want to continue reading. So far in my novel, Krakauer has left his hometown and flown all the way to Nepal, where he begins his ascent to base camp, making so slow progress staying in small villages in Nepal along, along the side of the mountain along with his crew and expedition leader Rob Hall. He arrives at Everett, ba at Everett Base Camp, which is still situated around 5,000 plus meters above sea level, and has to this point ascended to Camp 2, which is approximately 6,942 meters in altitude. Now that you know a brief summary about my book, here are a few points that I did find interesting that I've read so far. Krakauer stated that the majority of the people attempting to climb Mount Everest alongside him had little to no previous climbing experience, and he even stated some didn't even know how to use crampons, one of the most basic tools of mountaineering. And this really surprised me, as you wouldn't think they would just let anyone climb Mount Everest. You would think you need to have at least some prior experience before attempting to climb. That demands great physical strength, endurance, and willpower. But I guess if you pay the $65,000 fee, you're free to go and try to climb the tallest mountain in the world. Another thing that surprised me is the state of some of these places Krakauer stayed in. He stated that along the way to base camp, his crew stayed at a small, his crew stayed at a small settlement named Lubuji. Krakauer described it as a grim-looking place with a few small lodges people crammed into with wooden beds infested with fleas and lice. He was stated that there wasn't even a working toilet there, so people just did their business in the open, which also surprised me because you wouldn't think that a place thousands of tourists go through each year on their way to base camp would be so disgusting. Well, that's going to be a wrap for the first episode of my podcast, and stay tuned for the second episode coming soon. and welcome back to another episode of Con Paris Podcast. In case you didn't have a very good memory, I'm Connor Parsons, and this podcast is about the book I'm reading called Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, which is a book based on Krakauer's personal experience of the 1996 Mount Everest disaster. <clears throat> As we know from the last episode, Krakauer has left his hometown in the U.S. and flown all the way to Nepal, where he has now began his climb to base camp, and after reaching base camp, ascended to Camp 2 relatively easily, compared to what he is now about to experience. Before I get into the novel, as the story has developed, new people have been introduced, and here's a few characters that you should know to further understand what is going on. First, we have the main character, John Krakauer, who is the author of the book and a member of the Adventure Consultants Expedition. We have Rob Hall, who is the leader-slash-owner of the Adventure Consultants Expedition. And we have Scott Fisher, who is the leader-slash-owner of the Mountain Madness Expedition. And, and Anatoly Bukreev, who is the head guide for Mountain Madness. And Doug Hansen, who is a client of Adventure Consultants. But one of the people Krakauer got really close to um, on the time he spent with, on Everest. And finally, we have Ange Dore Negwang Norbu, who are both Sherpas meant to help the expedition run smoothly. To this point, I've read about two-thirds of the novel, and Krakauer has finally ascended through Camp 3, after departing Camp 4 with the help of canned oxygen, finally reached the 29,000-foot summit of Everest at exactly 1.17pm, which is smack in the middle of Rob Hall's planned turnaround time of 1-2pm. Although Krakauer did ascend successfully, he describes he was near the front of the pack, and later describes that the day of the summit push, 
Many mistakes were made by fellow guides and Sherpas, which later proved fatal for the climbers and guys behind them. As Krakauer left Camp 4 for the final summit push, he states that he hadn't slept in 72 hours and they had a deadly cough, similar to his fellow crew members like Doug Hansen, who he stated were also very ill and weak. But like many others on that summit push, at 28,000 feet in the incredibly thin air, you can't expect everyone to be 100%, and that is why the errors in the climb must be minimized, and the guides must think smart so that the number of deaths is the smallest number possible. Initially, Rob Hall, consulting with other guides, set an initial turnaround time of 1 to 2 p.m., which everybody was supposed to have began their descent by, so that the storm, which was coming, didn't affect them. But many mistakes and delays were made during the summit push that lost valuable time and ultimately costed some people their lives. The first and perhaps the most fatal of many delays that occurred that night was the fact that because no expedition had summited to the top yet that year, climbing Sherpas and guides had not already set the fixed ropes past the balcony, which is 27,400 feet. Although Rob Hall had conducted a meeting of guides to send two Sherpas 90 minutes before the crews left to place fixed ropes, Stupidly, nobody actually left to fix the ropes, which is very concerning as it is the Sherpa's job to fix ropes, carry things, and assist with the expedition, but they just completely disobeyed their orders. Therefore, once the climbers reached the balcony, they had to wait for these ropes to be fixed, which caused about an hour delay for the climbers, yet Krakow and Sherpa Angidori did state they reached the balcony about an hour and a half before everyone else, but Krakow, who was forbidden to go further by guide Rob Hall, had to wait until Sherpa Lopsang reached them to fix the rope. But yet Lopsang was far below because he was stupidly short roping a fully capable Sandy Pittman. Simply because he felt she was the weakest client and needed to be helped. Therefore they lost another precious hour before the ropes were fixed for the climbers because of a stupid decision by a Sher Sherpa to short rope a fully capable climber. Don't get me wrong though, the Sherpas provide a big role in helping the crews to climb Everest. Without their help, it would be a lot more difficult to climb the mountain. But the decisions and cooperation of certain Sherpas in this climb contributed to the failure of the expedition. Krakauer stated that once he reached the south summit, which is only 11 vertical meters from the actual summit, while he was waiting for the ropes to be fixed, he noticed two Sherpas by the name of Ange Dori and Nguang Norbu who were sitting down sharing a thermos of tea in absolutely no hurry to fix the ropes, which was their duty. Once guy Neil Beetleman reached the south summit and saw them, he asked them if they were going to fix the ropes, and they simply responded no, which is ridiculous, considering it is their job as a Sherpa to fix the ropes. So as a crowd began forming, Beetleman, Bukreve, and Harris, along with the help of Krakauer, began fixing the ropes to the summit ridge, but by the time they had actually fixed the ropes, they had lost another valuable few hours. And a half an hour later, Krakauer had finally reached the foot of the Hillary Step, and by 1.17, reached the summit of Mount Everest, where he described he had the feeling, sensation of being underwater, like life was moving at a quarter speed. But Krakauer was now only halfway done, as he still had a dangerous descent that lay ahead, as he realized that he was on his final oxygen canister, and based on the last one, he said they would last around 7 hours typically, meaning this canister he was on right now would be empty at 2pm and it was already 1.17pm at the summit, giving him only 43 minutes to descend to the south summit to retrieve another bottle. Yet he was one of the first people to summit on that expedition, leaving many more, probably in the same case as him, still yet to summit with the horrible swirl of cumulonimbus clouds starting to appear, and many people below Krakauer who were even growing weaker at high altitude. The mistakes made then 
seemed only a little for what was about to come. Another thing I would like to mention is the fact that Krakauer stated that guide Anatoly Bukriv, who was the head guide, so he was meant to be the, the lead guide of everyone in the Mount Manus expedition, firstly, wasn't using supplemental oxygen, which was leaving him vulnerable to the effects high altitude can have on your brain, but he was a guide, not a climber, so his goal is not supposed to be to get to the summit, but to guide clients to the summit in the safest way possible. And obviously, him not using supplemental oxygen would be a great risk to the clients if he were to come down with an altitude-related sickness because he was not using extra oxygen. Krakauer stated Bukri also didn't even carry a backpack, which every single guy needs to have for a rope, first aid supplies, rescue gear, and oxygen canisters, which Krakauer and probably many others could have used at the summit. Krakauer said Bukri was the first guy he'd ever seen that didn't even carry a backpack of essential supplies. Krakauer also noticed that Bukri began his descent before many of his clients had even reached the summit of Everest. But as a guide, it is his job to guide the clients to and down from the summit as safe as possible, which is very concerning, because that's his job. He's supposed to stay up there and help the clients. But he just descended selfishly. And who knows, maybe if he didn't stupidly descend, he could have saved the lives of many people who were lost high up on the mountain. So now that you know what's happened in the middle section of my book, that's going to be a wrap for the second episode of my podcast. And tune in next week for the third and final episode. And finally, welcome back everyone to the very final episode of Connor's Podcast. We finally finished the book and it was definitely a great one. And for those of you waiting to see what happens in the end, here it is. So as we know, Krakauer had summited Mount Everest, but now must begin his gruesome descent with very little oxygen remaining in his canister. After summiting and staying on the top of the world for a few minutes, he is now beginning the long, awful descent that lay ahead. Krakauer recalls that he reached the summit of, at 1.17 p.m. Guide Neil Beelman reached it at 1.25. Clev Schuing reached it at 1.45, which were all before the designated turnaround time of 2 p.m. Yet by the time 2 p.m. rolled around, Krakauer stated there was not a single sign of guide Scott Fisher or any other clients. In fact, Krakauer said that only six people from any of the expeditions actually reached the summit before the turnaround time of 2 p.m. At around 2 p.m., 2.10 p.m., however, continuing past the scheduled turnaround time, Rob Hull, Sandy Pittman, Yasuko Namba, and majority of the others had reached the summit. Rob Hall radioed to base camp after he reached the summit that everything was fine and that Doug Hansen and Scott Fisher were just below him and that he'll be heading down shortly, which was, a, which was completely opposite from the truth, as a weak Fisher wouldn't reach the top until 3.40 and a struggling Doug Hansen until a very late 4 p.m long past the scheduled turnaround time, which I feel was the first problem with the failure of the descent and ultimately the failure of the expedition. Guides Rob Hall and Scott Fisher knew they weren't going to reach the summit before their scheduled turnaround time, but chose to, ke- chose to keep going for the summit instead of going back and turning around the clients who were continuing to ascend cluelessly below them. As the likes of Fisher, Doug Hansen, and a few others continued their ascent into the storm, which was now stirring up. Krakauer and a few others made the decision to descend as guide Neil 
Neil Beetleman stayed back at the summit and waited for Fisher and the rest of and the rest of the clients still ascending to the summit. But by 3:10 p.m., Beetleman stated that Fisher, nor Hansen, or any other clients had reached the summit or were even in sight of him. So as the storm began to worsen, he decided to also begin his descent along with the other clients with him. Beetleman stated that as he began to descend, he met Fisher at around the Hillary Step, who he said was struggling, but he assumed that because he was Scott Fisher, would he easily reach the summit and meet up with the rest of the crew very shortly. More worried about the worsening Sandy Pittman, Beetleman said he didn't really pay much attention to Scott Fisher's well-being. Krakauer, who was one of the first people to summit from the two exhibitions, got down relatively easily compared to the rest of them, and safely made it back to Camp 4 without frostbite or anything, and got in his tent safely. While Beetleman and a crew consisting of Sandy Pittman, Beck Weathers, Yusuko Neba, and a few others, finally got down near Camp 4 but struggled deep in the snow, and once they descended, where they felt was near Camp 4, huddled, huddled up in an ice rock without supplementary oxygen, just 200 horizontal feet of the tents of Camp 4 simply because they could not even see where they were going as the storm had worsened into a full-on blizzard and didn't want to risk falling off, off the mountain, obviously, to their deaths. But higher up on the mountain, Scott Fisher, Doug Hansen, and Rob Hall were all weakening with their supplementary oxygen depleting. Even though Rob Hall reached the summit particularly early at 2.10pm compared to the others, Krakauer stated that Hall had encountered a struggling Doug Hansen at around 3pm after he had began his descent. Sherpa Ange Dory, who was with Hall, had immediately ordered Hansen to descend, but hungry for the summit, Hansen refused. Hall then ordered Ange Dory to descend, as he wanted Hansen to finally get to the summit of Mount Everest, and Krakauer stated he literally put Hansen on his back and guided him to the summit, which was a selfless act, a selfless act by Hall, but in the end, cost Hall and Hansen their lives. Hall and Hansen reached the summit by 4 p.m., but by then, along with the effects of the storm, were growing weaker, and in the end, were caught high in the mountain near the summit, and ultimately lost their lives. As for Fisher, who was not using supplementary oxygen, began growing very weak at high altitude, and died from hypothermia near the southeast ridge, and his body still remains there to this day. In total, eight people from the Adventure Consultants and Mount Manus Expeditions were killed, but many, many were injured and scarred for their lives. Andy Harris, Doug Hansen, Yusuko Namba, guide Scott Fisher, Rob Hull, and two other Sherpas all lost their lives in what was the worst Everest tragedy until 2014. Krakauer survived the tragedy and descended rather easily after the storm had subsided down to base camp, but he forever had to live with the decisions he made on the mountain that day and the deaths of his friends on the mountain that day that further have haunted him for the rest of his life. Although this had this happened a while ago, I feel bad for all the family effect, affected as it was a tragedy that with better decisions could have resulted in less deaths or could have been prevented completely. If the plan was followed, many of the deaths never would have even happened. That's what's really sad about it. If, if everyone turned around at 2 p.m., the storm never would have trapped people where they were and killed them in the end, which is why it's just sad. Well, finally, that's going to be a wrap for Conpar's podcast, and that's the end of Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Overall, it was a great book, although it seemed a bit boring at the start of the at the start of the novel. 
By the middle of the novel, it got a lot more interesting, and for somebody who hasn't e ever read about mountaineering, it was very suspenseful and, and always made me want to read further. Krakauer wrote very descriptively, considering it was considering it answered the questions many people asked when the tragedy happened. It was a great read, and I would definitely give this book a solid 9 out of 10 rating. So, see you later, ladies and gentlemen, and that's the end of Confire's podcast. Thank you.